Welcome back to Torah on the Go. I'm sitting here with my sweet mate, Rabbi Feinstein, and welcome back to the podcast, Ed. Thanks you. Thank you, Rabbi. Well, uh, we have covered so many big topics in the book of Genesis over the first however many weeks we've been doing this at this point. And I want to bring it back in so many ways to the beginning. We started at the beginning in terms of creation of the world. But the beginning of the human experience is actually birth. And we repeat this trope over and over in the book of Genesis and Sefer Breshit. Mm-hmm. First, the world is birthed. And we say that over and over during the high holidays, Hayom Harat Olam. Mm-hmm. At this moment, the world stands pregnant or poised with possibility. And then in these parshiot that we're about to discuss in, in, in Vayera and Chayasara and Toldot, we see the birth story of Isaac's twins. Isaac and Rebekah have twins. And even before that, we see Abraham and Sarah have the second of their two children. We have Isaac's birth after Ishmael. Mm-hmm. We never really see the birth story of Noah's children. The birth story of Adam and Eve's children, we gloss over that they have children, just like Noah has children. But these stories carry with it significance. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the birth stories of our children are some of the most significant moments in our lives. It, it, it captures a kind of human experience that when we think back to the, to the happiest moments in one's life, it usually involves the, the, the birth of a child. Right. Why does it start here? Why do you think it starts with Isaac and and Ishmael and Esav and Jacob in terms of these these significant birth stories? And how do we understand as 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 as, as Jews that each child is in and of themselves a world? Yeah. Because the Jewish tradition is obsessed with beginnings. Because according to the Mishnah there's not one Rosh Hashanah but four Rosh Hashanahs. And then if you count every Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of every month, you get 13 times more. You get to celebrate the beginning of something because the Torah's first book is Breshit. It's the first word in the Torah. And if you actually observe the tradition of naming a book for its first important word, the Torah itself should be called Breshit, the book of beginnings. Why beginnings? because it is the conviction of this tradition that our belief in a God who is involved in our history means we are never stuck. We're never slaves of what was. The idea that tomorrow presents possibilities, that every new day presents possibilities, that we are given the responsibility to reinvent, recreate, reimagine, reorganize ourselves and the world about us, and that the world is ready for that effort, that is the deepest conviction of the tradition. And the most powerful, powerful moment of new beginning, of course, is the beginning of life. And that's why when, you, when we ask in, a, in, a, in an informal conversation with families, for example, tell me about a moment when you really felt God was present to you. Almost everyone says, the birth of my kids. Always. Because we are participating. We are, we are partners at that moment with God in the very real creation of a new life. And a new life we treat with reverence. You know, a child comes into the room for their brit milah or their brit bat, their naming ceremony. Everyone stands up because the kid represents infinite potential and the infinite possibilities that God has planted in the world. So birth as a phenomenon, it has, its, it has such an in, 
powerful sanctity, and it represents to us this faith that yet the world can be remade. So I've heard from so many people that they listen to this podcast at the beginning of their day, whether it be where they are, when they're working out, they're on the Peloton, they're on the Stairmaster, whether they're sitting in traffic on the way to work. I think there's a real reason and intuition why people want to start their day studying Torah, why, how Judaism speaks to the beginnings and the way that you're talking about it, not only in the cosmic beginning of it all, but in the in the repetition of each and every special beginning. Right. The way we open our eyes in the morning. Right. So I, I have a, 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 you know, a game I play with the kids. I, I'll say to the kids, you know, there have been dogs in this world for 250 million years, but no dog ever woke up in the morning and said meow. Not one. Think about that. Because a dog is always a dog, because a dog was, as it were, programmed to be a dog from the day that dog was brought into the world. But you and me, we wake up every morning and we get to decide who we're going to be. That possi the possibilities that face us each day of who we're going to be, how we're going to treat the world, what we're going to create as a world about us, that is the gift of human responsibility and human freedom. In the morning, we wake up and there's a traditional blessing, Baruch Sha'asani um, Ben Chorin, God who has given me the freedom to become the person I am meant to be. To, to find what I am meant to be, to find myself, that possibility and that enormous responsibility then, who I am then is who I have chosen to be. I can't, con I can't create the conditions of my experience, can't tell what the traffic's going to be this morning or the weather's going to be this morning or the politics are going to be this morning, but I can always decide what my character is going to be. I can always determine how I'm going to speak to the people about me and what effect I'm going to have on the environment that I live in. That enormous responsibility and that enormous possibility is the sanctity of each morning, of each rebirth as a morning. And the Modeani prayer expresses a certain degree of gratitude for who we are in the way that we face the world, just like you're saying, not in gratitude for the world, but we have the ability to shape it ourselves. Let's go to the most discussed moment of, of the birth process with us in our offices. Let's talk about names mm. for a moment, okay? Our tradition as Ashkenazic Jews is to name after loved ones who have passed on. Sephardic Jews name after loved ones who are still alive. It is considered a great honor in the Sephardic tradition to name after our grandparents or teachers right. or what it might be who are still alive. Yes. The book of Genesis is a book full of names that are all fresh because there is nobody in that world in antiquity. They're not naming after previous generations yet. That tradition does not exist. So when Abraham and Sarah sit down and they name Yitzchak Yitzchak, which can be translated into literally he will laugh yes. or he will play, it is, it, is a, it is a beautiful blessing in and of itself to have a child with a positive disposition in life. Yeah. Then... Isaac and Rebecca, they named their two kids, Esav and Yaakov. And again, they bestow on each one a, a promise, a future. Yaakov's behavior of holding on to the heel of Esav and, and in some ways making his life easier by using the inertia of his brother predicts in many ways the type of human being he'll be in so many ways. We often sit with people, not only when they're naming their children, but when they're actually naming themselves. I don't know if many people understand, but during the conversion process, mm -hmm. people have the extraordinary moment of lending themselves another name. Mm -hmm. 
So we're, we receive names from our parents. We often try to live up to those names or we often try to shirk those names sometimes through adolescence or through our teenage years, try to, try to be somebody different. And then in the moment of conversion, people receive the opportunity to give themselves a Hebrew name. Right. And it is a holy, holy moment for us when we get to hear that choice for the first time. And so, not to sound too Shakespearean, <laughs> but what's in, a what's in a name, Rabbi? What's in a name? Yeah, yeah. And, and the Bible has this other piece, which is not just for people becoming Jewish, but the idea that names change. A Avram becomes Avraham. Uh, he becomes the father of many nations. Sarai becomes Sarah, the, the queen. And the most interesting one, of course, is Yaakov, whose name actually means heel. And he is a heel at the beginning of the story. He is a, he is a, a grasper. He is uh, an immoral character, a character of real questionable ethics. Later in the story, when he comes out of himself and becomes the man he's supposed to become, he becomes Yisrael, which becomes our name. It's the name of our people. Um, and that idea that your name changes with your experience is a beautiful idea. I think that might be a custom we might want to reinstitute. There is a custom that's, in, at least in Ashkenazic circles, that if someone is sick— right. And you either want to make them better or they do get better. You add Baruch, which means blessing, or Rifael, God heals, or Simcha, joy, to their name. Uh, my, my grandfather's name was Avram Baruch because he, he re recovered from a terrible disease at one point, which I think is a lovely idea. I mean, adding something to the name which rec represents the experience of the person. Um, you know, names represent the people that our parents want us most to be. I always say to families, you know, choose a name that has a character, either a person in your life whose qualities you want carried on in the life of your child, or choose a name which represents the thing that matters most to you, and so that your child will carry your own aspirations into the world. And I think that's a beautiful idea. I mean, the early American Christians called their kids prudence and faith and charity and these sorts of things. Uh, I think that's kind of a nice custom of giving your kid the name of an ethic. There's a funny story, a Hasidic story about a, uh, a husband and wife who are about to give birth. They come to the, the Rebbe and they say to him, we want to name after each of our fathers. And he says, well, what was your father's name? And he said, uh, one of them says, my father's name was Avraham. And he was a great scholar and a rabbi with thousands of students who learned from him each and every day. Mm. And the Rebbe says, beautiful, beautiful. And what was, what was your father's name to the other partner. And she says, my father's name was Avraham. My father was a ganef and a drunk and was a this and a that. And uh, he says, so if we name the child Avraham, after whom are we, are, we, are we naming? And the rabbi says, well, my advice is that you name him Avraham. And as the child grows up, if you see him excel in school and, and you know, you'll know it's named after one father. And if you see that he falls off the derech early in life, you'll know that it's named after the other father. <laughs> oh, God. Avraham is named after so, these names, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Right. We use these names over and over and over again to name our children. Yeah. And it was actually my daughter, whose Hebrew name is Sarah. She once came home from school at an early age, and she explained to me that Yisrael 
is the only word that actually contains all the names, all of the names in one. That's right? a beautiful so thing. The yud is for Yaakov and Yitzchak, and the and the shin or the sin is for so. is for Sarah, and the resh is for Rachel and Rivka, and the aleph is for Abraham, and the lamed is for Leah. All of the matriarchs and patriarchs are contained in that in name. that name. Right. That name is the tapestry of our ancestral heritage in so many ways. There's nothing more powerful than a name. Yeah, my, my wife, I have to give a commercial for my dear wife, Rabbi Nina. Um, and uh, she's the world's greatest namer. I mean, the, the, when our, the second date we ever went on it was a good news, bad news. She told me the name of our first four children. <laughs> you know, so, like you're going to get lucky, but you're going to pay for it the rest of your life. And she has this exquisite sensitivity to the power of names. And... Um, so she's and and so she lo- and I'll you know for those who are listening if you have a kid and you need a name to call Nina um, because she has this wonderful library of wonderful Hebrew names and wonderful ways of finding uh, names and she found some wonderful names for um, for our kids our our second kid was Nessa and uh, Nessa was supposed to be a boy I, I'm from four boys and Nina was convinced that all of our kids would be boys and when the doctor when the baby was born and the doctor said Mazel Tov you have a daughter. We didn't have a name. We had all the boys' names, right? We didn't have a name. So she took her uncle's name, her uncle, a beautiful Uncle Phil, who came to our wedding at the age of 95. Wow. Um, uncle Phil had passed away. Uncle Phil was Pinchas. So she took Pein Nun Chet Samech Pinchas, and you took Pach, Pein Samech, Pach, Pein Chet, out. Pach means trash. Mm-hmm. You take out the trash, and you're left with Nes, miracle. And Nessa became Nes, and that's how she got her name. Um, it, it represents what we want most for our kids and, and how we feel about them. And I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful act. And I, I would love this idea of, of adding names as people go through right. life because uh, I think it's a beautiful way of adding representations of our experience. My, my name is actually after my grandfather, Natan Papanathan. That's my mom's father who passed away shortly before my parents actually met. But my middle name is for my father's uncle, my grandfather's brother. Mm. So they weren't sure if they were going to name me Tzvi or Hersh. Mm. Tzvi is the Hebrew name, and Hersh is, is what people call them, the Yiddish name. Yeah. So they went to the rabbi and they said, you know, we want his name to be either Natan Tzvi or Natan Hersh. What right. should we name him? Right. And the rabbi said, uh, both, use both. And so my Hebrew name is Natan Tzvi Hersh. And I have to tell you that every time I go up for an aliyah, I have to say them very quickly, or yes. otherwise, otherwise, you know, the the the, the gabai assumes that the two names are enough and, and goes up right onto the to the ben, uh, whatever it might be. I met, you know, for a long time. I had I met and learned with Rav Steinzeltz, who's a great example of this. He became very ill early in life, and then also later achieved a great accomplishment. And he went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who renamed him, so he was. Adin Steinzaltz. Wow. And then if you look at all of his books today, Zichron Olivracha, uh, He Should Rest in Peace, his books all read, they're written by Rav Adin Evan Israel Steinzaltz. Oh. Right, the Rock of Israel. Steinzaltz, right. So uh, so nice. it, it's, a, it's a fascinating, Steinzaltz, the way right. that we get our names put together and the way that we're constructed often reflects the, the people that we are on the inside. So to show you, show you the, the tradition of rabbi of rabbis of Ali Beth Shalom, Rabbi Shulweis, my teacher, was also Tzvi Hirsch. He was Rav Tzvi Hirsch. And so I asked him once, okay, so I get Tzvi Hirsch. Where did your mother get Harold from? Mm-hmm. And he laughed and he said, well, it, it was his, his grandfather that found Tzvi Hirsch because his grandfather was a great lamdan, he was a great learned Jew. 
His father was a great Yiddishist. That's why Hirsch is part of his name. I said, well, where did you get Harold from? He says, my mother wanted me to become an American. She wanted me to be comfortable in America. Her parents were immigrants, and they wanted to be comfortable in America in a way that they could never be comfortable. And so um, when he was born, she got the newspaper, and she opened the newspaper, and the newspaper was the New York Herald. <laughs> and that's how Harold Schulweis found his name. <laughs> I said, it's a good thing she didn't get the Times or the Post. That's you know? exactly right. He would have been, <laughs> yeah. been Rabbi Post Schulweis. <laughs> And, and what is your Hebrew name, Ed? Yitzchak Moshe. But I'm named for some uncles that I never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know who I'm. I don't know who I'm named for. It wasn't as in, in that moment. It was it was a different kind of a thing. My parents though. My parents had, my parents called themselves by their Hebrew names. My mother's name was Chaike. Mm-hmm. She had an English name, but no one called her that except the uh, Social Security Administration. And my father um, was is Dove, and he's known by that to this day because they were members of the movement. And in the movement, you lost your American identity and you lost your English name and you became your Hebrew name. And that was my parents' name. So they were always known by Dovin Chaiki. Right. Isn't that funny, though, when, you, when you're a child and your parents go by a different name? My father's name is Jerry and his birth name is Joseph. Mm. So we always knew as, a, as kids, if somebody called the house and asked for Joseph, that was clearly a telemarketer. Right. That, was not, that was not anybody that, that, that was friends with the family or, or, right. or, or my dad knew. So when, when, you, when people know it, know you by a name and when you get known by a name other than your birth name, it creates kind of a a different kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. If someone walked up to your mother when you were a child and called her something other than Chaike, yeah, you could immediately categorize that person as not important to the family. Right. I asked my mother once, where did you get Edward from? And my mother had the same, the same actually ambition that Mrs. Schulweis did. Um, she said, you know, I was a child of immigrants. We never felt comfortable in America. We wanted you to have a place here. Um, so, so I said, so where did you get Edward? She said, it was the name of the Prince of England. There you you know, so my brother's name was Lawrence, you know, and my other brother's name was Stephen. Uh, and then by the third, by the fourth one, she gave in, he's Jeremy, you know, he's Jerry. So the, the, it, it was this immigrant generation's desire to see their children become part of America that, bes- that the name is bespoke. That's why I think that we're, we're at a different moment now. And I, and I love this idea. First of all, I love the idea of, of kids having the same Hebrew and English names. I think that's a beautiful gift to our children. Because having grown up with Edward and Yitzchak as two different identities, and that I was very acutely aware of this inside-outside kind of identity that that, that that generation gave its Jewish kids. And the idea that some of our kids now have Hebrew names and they wear them out in the world is a beautiful integrity, a beautiful integration of inside and outside. And that they bespeak the ethics that we want most of all for our kids as they grow up is also a beautiful thing. The interesting place of names, by the way, if we get to the, back to the Torah, is in the next generation. When you get uh, the uh, Jacob's family, and Jacob has uh, Nebuch, four wives, right? He has Rachel, Leah, Zilpah, and Bilhah. And Leah starts giving birth. Each of the names of Leah's children, which become the names of our tribes, right? Um, Ruvain and Shimon and... Levi and Yehuda, each one bespeaks her struggle, right? Ruvain is, my husband will see me and love me. Mm -hmm. Shimon means my husband will hear of my pain and come to be with me. You know, Levi means uh, he will accompany me. And finally, by the fourth one, she says, you know what? I'm not so sure I need him anymore. Yehuda, which means uh, um, I'm thankful for what I have. I have enough. It's a sort of sense because now she's beaten the family total. Mm-hmm. You know, 
She's beaten the family total of names. But it's it's what's what's painful in those names is her longing and her 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 pain, her her suffering in this family, in this broken family. Um and and you and you but you hear the beginning of herself coming out. When she reaches Yehuda, she's now strong. She says she she has a strength to her. And the following names, the ones that come after that, reflect her place in the family. She now realizes that she really um, she really belongs. And and what's amazing about this long arc of transition is Yitzchak is actually a name that Abraham and Sarah are told by God that he's going to be named Yitzchak. Mm-hmm. They both name it themselves and they hear that name before before his birth. Mm-hmm. You'll have a son and his name will be Yitzchak. Right. And then they come up and then there's another story about how she laughs and he laughs and all kinds of laughter and, and they bless him with Yitzchak. Rivka is the first one that actually names, not because the names have been told to her, but because she gives the names. And Leah and Rachel both bestow on their children names that sound like blessings, but are really not blessings at all. Yosef, and you gave the four examples of, of, of Leah's names, and at the end, Rachel names Yosef a name that means, I hope I have more children right. after you, after this one. Right. And Binyamin, I think the last name given in the book of Breshid, the book of Genesis, the most fascinating naming of them all is Rachel, as she lays dying, giving birth, says the name of the child will be Ben-Oni. This is the child of my pain. Right. And Yaakov, being an acute listener as a husband, listens to Ben-Oni and names him instead of Ben-Oni, Ben-Yamin. This is the child of my right hand. Of my strength. Of my strength. Imagine being called the child of my pain and hearing your whole life that your mother died during childbirth. Yeah. You wouldn't want to carry that. Nobody would allow their child to carry that curse. And and Jacob ends up saving his life by by calling him Binyamin, by giving him a yeah. future that he can walk the earth with this name without constant blame for, for this, his mother's death. This is a profound psychological insight, though. Whether we know it or not, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we carry our parents' experiences. Most of all, we carry our parents' traumas. And, and the names of the, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, reflect the trauma of this family. But then the, the gift of the tradition, and this comes back where we started again from beginnings again, and what Yaakov does is we don't have to live with that trauma. We can overcome it. We can change our names. We can change our fate. We can change the direction of life by changing the name, by changing the direction, by becoming aware of what we carried. This was Sigmund Freud's great, um, uh, great insight that simply becoming aware of the trauma that brought us into the world and shaped us as small people, small children, um, we can become the people we're meant to be. And that, I think, is a great gift. That's a wonderful gift. You can change your name. You can change your destiny. You can change your fate. You're not stuck with what was given to you, either psychologically or nominally, as it were. And so in a beautiful way, we end back at the beginning, as Genesis often often leads us to do with the blessings that we recite in the morning. Mode'ani and B'nai Chorin, we are grateful that we have the freedom to choose for ourselves the type of people we're going to be in this world with our name that was given to us or with the name that we'd like to create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so to all of you who have learned with us about your names, we hope that you make the most of this day, whether it be carrying your family tradition or whether it be setting a new tradition for yourselves rooted in the ideals and the principles of Torah and the tales of family in Genesis. So if you're exercising, you just might want to reflect on this. 
Peloton. The word Pella in Israel means wonder, and Etan in Israel means strength. So stay on that Peloton and give wonder to the strength that you're gaining. Amen. Amen. Well, we look forward to learning with you next time. Thank you.